Thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at imtheexchange.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at imtheexchange.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages to you each week. Today's message is from our lead pastor, Pastor Jared Brooks. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We are in uh, week number two of a series. If you missed last week, that's okay. We're going to recap a little bit of it. You can also go back to our Facebook page and you can rewatch that or go to our podcast and catch it there. But uh, we're in week two of a series called Greater. Everybody say Greater. And, uh, and so we're going to continue this for the next couple of weeks, but we're going to start reading in John chapter 14, starting with verse number 12, and it says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing, okay? He says, anyone, if you just believe, if you have faith in me, you will do what? What I have already been doing. I've already been doing something, and if you believe in me, you will continue to do what I've already been doing. And not only that, he will do even greater. Everybody say greater. Greater Greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So Jesus, right now, we ask, Father, that you open up our eyes and our our ears and our hearts to receive this powerful word, Lord. God, that, that I will continue to be your mouthpiece. God, as we speak truth and life into your people, into your children, God. God, I know that, that every word spoken this morning is from your heart. So I pray right now that we receive it with, with understanding and clarity, God, that you have greater things for us. And we receive that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody shout out a big amen. amen. Now listen, before you're seated, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, I'm believing for greater. Come on. I'm believing. Look at your other neighbor and say, greater peace, greater joy, greater love. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Now you said it, so you got to receive it now. Okay? So you've already spoke that into existence, so it's starting to happen now in the heavenly places Now listen, I hope that when you send your kids off to school during the week, that you continue to speak greater things into their life, right? Come on, if they're going to public school, if they're going to private school, if they're going to the the living room, wherever they're going, I pray that you continue to speak that greater into them and you pull that out because they need to start to get it in their mind that God has greater for them every day, amen? And I hope that you continue to wake up in the morning, look at yourself in the mirror, and you call the greater out of you, amen? Wow. So God is conspiring in heaven to bring some greater things into your life, and it's all for the glory of God. How many of you, now I know we're a young church, pretty young church, but how many of you were around, raise your hand for this, were around when President John F. Kennedy got shot? So not a whole, whole lot of us, (laughs) not a whole, whole lot of us, I thought there would be a few more, but there's not a lot of us around. Uh, and when I say us, I meant you, because I wasn't around either. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, 
How many of you, if you're around in that period, you remember how big of a deal that was? How many of you can remember exactly where you were and what you were doing? If you got, a lot of people got sent home from school immediately uh, because it was such a big, big deal. You got dismissed for the day, and it was a national shock. Um, in fact, the president of the United States, he came out immediately with a statement, and he, uh, oh, excuse me. Uh, the president got shot. I skipped, so skipped my point there. But listen, as soon as that happened, people were in shock. The nation was in shock. Why? Because JFK had such a huge impact on, this gener- on that generation. It was a really, really big deal. And so you can remember that. And we have events in our lives. It's like 9-11 for me. Uh, that was my birthday. It still actually is my birthday. I didn't change it because of that day, but... But on 9-11, that, when that happened, what you know is 9-11, it was just birthday for me. It was a celebration. And at the church I was at, every year on my birthday, the secretary would fill my office with balloons and have cake. She always did something fun, and her name was Miss Paula, and she was like the most bubbly person in the world. Every time you see her, she would go, good morning, good morning. She was just so happy all the time. And so 9-11 was one of those moments for me. I'll never forget walking into the church and kind of expecting a little bit of a surprise, you know. I uh, walk in, and there's nobody in the front office, and I don't see anybody around. I was like, man, where's everybody at? So I'm like, they're probably hiding in my office. I bust open the door to my office. There's nobody in there. There's no balloons. There's no cake. Nothing. And I was like, okay, there's a surprise somewhere for me. You know, birthdays are a big deal to me. I walk around, I can't find anybody, and I walk into the conference room, and everybody's in the conference room gathered around a TV. And I was like, I wonder what they're doing. So I opened the door, and I was like, hey, guys. And they turn around, they're like, come here, did you see this? That was what I remember. I remember, because at that moment, we were able to see the second tower get hit. Or just a few minutes after that. So there's moments in time that stick in our memory that impact us and, and that we remember exactly what we were doing and where we were. How many of you remember uh, back in 2011, if you had an iPhone back then in 2011, if you had an iPhone, on your iPhone, the message popped up, Apple founder Steve Jobs dead at 56. Y'all remember that? That was a big deal. That sent shockwaves through, through the world because he was such a huge part of the technology that we now live and breathe today. I mean, I wonder how we would live had he not done the things that he'd done. And this is where the President of the United States comes out. He makes a statement. He says, Steve Jobs was among the greatest of American innovators. He transformed our lives, redefined entire industries, and achieved one of the rarest feats in human history. He changed the way each of us sees the world. Wow. Can you imagine that? Now, I was thinking about it this week, and because of Steve Jobs and the innovation that he had, we have what we call Siri, right? And some of y'all have other people, but Siri's the nicest and sweetest. And, uh, and so, have y'all, do y'all ever play with Siri? So, so, hi Siri, what's my name? Hey Siri, what's my name? There we go. You're Jared you asked me to call you Captain America. <laughs> she said, you're Jared, but you asked me to call you Captain America. 
Usually she says, you're my first, since I'm your friend, I get to call you Captain America. You're not supposed to tell everybody that I ask you to call me Captain America. <laughs> but that's between me and you, Siri. We'll talk about that later in my truck, so. But, uh, but I, you know, I like to talk to Siri, and I like to play games with Siri and ask her things. And I ha- ask her this. Hey, Siri, what's your best pickup line? Dodge Ram, Ford F-150, Chevy Silverado, Holden Ute, Toyota Tundra. Hey, Siri, what's your best pickup line? Okay, was your father an intergalactic space smuggler? Wanted for peddling extraterrestrial contraband in nine systems? Then who stole the stars and put them in your eyes? Did y'all hear that? Was your father an intergalactic space smuggler wanted for peddling extraterrestrial contraband in, in nine systems? Then who stole the stars and put them in your eyes? It's a pretty good pickup line. Hey, Siri, I'm your father. No. <laughs> she just said no. Hey, Siri, I'm your father. Searching my feelings. Hey, Siri, can you rap? Okay, here goes. I wrote this one myself. Apologies in advance to the Sugar Hill Gang. I said a hip-hop. Save me from the clippy, the peak, peak and pop. And you don't stop. Space rocket to the pong-pong the doogie. Say up, jump the doozy to the rhythm of the ontology. Wow, come on. Can we give Siri a hand? So when I think of Steve Jobs, I think of moments like this. Where would I be without Siri? Where, I mean, we just have conversations, she and I. And, and they're not always nice. Sometimes I'm angry with her, and I call her names on accident, and she'll tell me that's not nice. And I'll tell her that's okay, because uh, that's what friends do. We fight sometimes. But I asked Siri this week, I asked her, uh, what was the date that JFK died? And she responded with November 22nd, 1963, at age 46 in Parkland Memorial Hospital. And I said, so, Siri, when did Muhammad Ali die? And she said, June the 3rd, 2016, in Scottsdale, Arizona. So then I asked her this, hey, Siri, when did Steve Jobs die? And she responded with this, thanks for asking about Steve. Here's Apple's webpage about him. So I continued over and over to ask her what the date was. She wouldn't give me the date. She kept sending me to this website, and it was Apple's website where they have a dedicated page all about Steve. All about Steve. And it just tells who he was. And as you're looking at this webpage, it's constantly scrolling with all the people who have just sent their condolences on this page. Things like, rip Steve Jobs, you led the world into 21st century. Rip Steve Jobs, you improved life as we know it. Rip Steve Jobs, unmatched imagination, thank you. Wow, what a man of influence, what a man of impact. And it it just makes you think uh, how powerful of a man he was to this generation that he would make such a crazy impact. Now... To be honest with you, I, I'm feeling older, okay? Uh, in, in just a few weeks, I said it, September 11th is my birthday, and I'll be 41 years old. 41 years old. That's a, you don't have to clap. That's, you don't, have, no, don't worry about that. That's, that's not a, 
I don't feel like it's a great accomplishment. I've had a few knee surgeries. My body feels older than 41. But uh, when I think about how old I am, I also think about this, that there are a ton of things in my life that I still want to accomplish, that I still want to do. I don't look at my life and, and feel like I've achieved it and that I'm here. I feel like there's still so much more uh, for me to do, but I do feel older. And uh, one of the reasons I feel older is because of my kids, okay? My kids make me feel older, not just the running around, but my teenager makes me feel older. When I listen to the music she listens to, I feel older, okay? Your teenagers, they make me feel older uh, because the music they listen to, their music is not the same music I listen to. When I grew up back in the 80s and 90s, my favorite music was rock and metal, okay? Anybody? Have the same kind of music. My favorite bands were Metallica and ACDC, and the all-time favorite, my to this day, my favorite band, Van Halen. Van Halen. That was just my band. That's, and those of you who cut me off because you have this way religious. I'm so sorry to just bring that. But I'm telling you, Van Halen was my favorite band all growing up, and they don't make bands like that anymore. Uh, they don't make bands like the, and, and one of the reasons they don't is because these bands are actually still making music, believe it or not. Um, I don't know how they are because Eddie Van Halen, who's one of the greatest guitar players ever to walk the planet earth, he is 63 years old. Do you know that? That makes some of you feel old. Um, uh, Angus Young, the, the lead guitar player for ACDC, 63 years old. James Hetfield, the lead singer for Metallica, 55 years old. These were my favorite bands growing up when I was a kid. And now these guys are like old. I know. I, I did write in there, choose your words carefully. But they're still making music. And these guys have been around forever. They were around as adults making music when I was a little kid. And yet they are still around making music today. Classic rock is what my music is now called. And uh, classic rock used to be the Beatles and Three Dog Night and all those bands. That's what my dad listened to. And uh, that's now what I call ancient rock. Because <laughs> classic rock has kind of changed a little bit. But as I get older, I think about it and I feel like I just have to learn to embrace it, you know. And so, I'm going to borrow my little prop here. There we go. Some of you feel it. Some of you get it. But uh, I've been thinking about what I want to be as I get older. And when I get older, and me, and me and the kids have actually talked about this a little bit. But when I get older, I want to be that grandpa who's still cool. I think we all in our mind, we think that, right? We all want to be that. We all still want to be relevant and cool as we get older. And I want to be that grandpa that's sitting in the back seat of the car with the kids. And we're driving down the road and you're sitting in the back seat. And you're telling them, turn on my station. Turn on my station. And, and they're screaming back at mom, no, we're not going to turn on the station. Sounds like a bunch of, of cats dying, you know. And uh, turn on my station. And, and, and as I'm in the back seat of the car, they put it on my back. Then it'll be, I don't know what it'll be called. It won't be classic rock anymore. Uh, I guess it will probably be ancient rock. And I start to sing, Exit light, enter night, take my hand, off to never, never there. 
That's what I sing every time you take me back to the nursing home. Off to Never Never Land. (laughs) And then you get back to the nursing home just in time for the announcement to come on. And they say, "Um, ladies and gentlemen, Metalhead Karaoke will start in 30 minutes in the rec room. So why don't you start walking and rolling this way? Get what I did there? Walking and rolling this way. Waka, (laughs) waka. My kids love Muppet Babies. Waka, waka. And it starts with me. And she says, Mr. Brooks, you're up first. Now you gotta remember, I'm 80 something. I don't even want to know who really contemplated walking out just now. (laughs) But I think about that, and I think about getting older, and I think about JFK, and I think about Steve Jobs, and I appreciate, and on on the behalf of every dreamer who's, who's thought crazy enough dreams to challenge, to change the world, Steve Jobs, you're going to be missed. He's missed. And as you read the overwhelming responses of people praising this great man, what a life, what an innovator, thank you, thank you, thank you, it gets me to thinking, a thought that kind of turns my stomach. If Steve Jobs was such an incredible man and, and did so, so many incredible things and changed his generation, changed the world through technology, My calling and my gifting is to be a pastor. And that's my job. And that's what I'm passionate about. He was passionate about technology. And if he did all those things, then me as a pastor, I'm called to change the world. I'm also called to change the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I I have the same calling and the same passion. But I look at all of his accolades and all the things that he accomplished and the people praising him. And then you start to go, who will praise me when I'm gone? Who will look at what I've done and go, man, wow, what an innovative, what, what a, a, a standard it was set. See, in, in my life, I think I, I have pretty, I live by pretty good standards, you know. Uh, I have uh, a good family. I have a great family. I have a great uh, home. I have great kids. I love my life. I feel like I'm a man of integrity. I feel like I, I pastor a, an incredible church. But... Is that enough? Is that enough? And so what would I do? What am I actually doing that really, really matters? That's changing a world. That's changing a generation. That matters more. What will matter more? 
that sets my life apart. So in short, I was processing the nauseating feeling that when it all stacks up, I don't feel like I actually am close to being the great man of God that I'm supposed to be in retrospect when you're looking at people like Steve Jobs. Sometimes I actually feel like a a terrible Christian. And I'm guessing that you've probably had those same thoughts. Anybody? You've thought, you know what? I'm really not that good at being a man of God or a woman of God. And I'm not saying that you're going to be the next Steve Jobs and you're trying to be, build this technology empire. But if, we, if we're honest with us, those thoughts grip us. The desire that we want to do more and more that matters. Right? Don't you want to do it? How many, you've probably thought that in the last few weeks or months or this past year, I just want to make a difference. I want to do more, and I want to do more that matters. That leads us back to the verse that we started off reading today. So I want you to imagine yourself. You're sitting at the table with Jesus, okay? And you're having this conversation around the table with Jesus about what all this means, okay? And you're asking these questions. Is this the end, Jesus? Is this the end? And Jesus reassures you, this is not the end. He says, I've got to die, but I'm only going to die so that I can return to the Father, so that I can prepare a place for you. Thomas, he's all worried that he doesn't know how we're going to get there. And Jesus says this, I am the way. I am the way. And then Philip, he, he wants reassurance that, see, that he's going to see the Father. And Jesus says this. He says, he and the Father are one and the same. And if you've seen one, you've seen the other. If you know one, you know the other. And so all this, these statements are going back and forth. All this discussion around this dinner table. And then Jesus says something incredible. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing, what I've already been doing, and he will do even greater things than these because I go to the Father. I'm going to the Father. So what could that possibly mean? So your mind starts to wander off at this statement that Jesus makes. You're sitting at this table with the disciples and your mind starts to wander off. And it takes you back to this moment. The the very first miracle that Jesus did, the, the marriage at Canaan, right? Where the party's starting to die, they're running out of, of wine. And Jesus takes about 150 gallons of water and he turns it into wine. Livens that party up, Right? And and so Jesus does that miracle, and that's incredible. And then there's this man in Jerusalem that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. That caused all kinds of problems. So you remember that in your mind, because you remember all the religious leaders started freaking out because Jesus healed somebody on on the Sabbath day. And then Jesus gets them even more riled up when he says this. Well, my dad also works on the Sabbath day, and I'm just doing what he does. Oh, that you remember that you're sitting at the table. You remember that. And then you remember this huge crowd gathering on the side of this hill. Jesus is teaching and and they've been there for a long time. And Jesus decides maybe we should feed them. And, and you and the other guys, you don't know how in the world this is going to happen, how you're going to feed them. All you can come up with is basically a few fish sandwiches. And Jesus says, that's enough. And then he he gives thanks and he breaks it. And so you go and you watch and, and you know that 
the, the story says about 5,000 people, but back then they only numbered the men. So you're talking about women and children. There's probably 11, 12,000 people that are being fed. And you remember passing that out and just watching it just continue to be in your basket. And you get back and there's 12 baskets left over. And you saw what it started out as. Wow. So you're thinking about this. The people went crazy. They wanted to make Jesus king. So Jesus slips off. And then just a little while later, you start to head home. You're headed over the lake. And you're about in the middle of the lake. It's middle of the night. And all of a sudden, you see this ghost. And it's Jesus. Jesus shows up. And he's not in a boat. He's walking on water. And so you wet yourself. Right? I mean, think about this. We, we have a hard time fathom. We say it like it's no big deal. That's a big deal. I mean, tell me you would not freak out. Wow. Wow. Jesus just shows up. He's walking on water. And, and, and you're just going crazy. The next day, the crowds, they track Jesus down. And they're asking him all kinds of questions. They start asking him, what do they need to do to do the work that God requires him? Then they ask what they, what they need to know that God expects them and as far as it is how they behave. They wanted to know what Jesus taught because Jesus told them that, that a lot of people do things. Some works are evil. Some works are good. Some are deeds of light. Others are deeds of darkness. They want to know the difference. They want to know what to do. These people wanted to know what they should do. And Jesus plainly, very plainly, he says this. The work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. Man, do you realize how powerful of a statement that is? Jesus says, saying, you want to know the work of God? Okay, so when we think of that word work, we think labor, we think intensity, we think that we've got to earn our way into the kingdom of God. He says, you want to know what the will of God, you want to know what the labor, the work of God is? You believe it. You believe in me. That's the work. That's the labor. Believe in the one he has sent. They wanted to know why they should trust Jesus. They wanted to have reason to believe. They were testing his authority to teach. So they asked him if he's going to perform a sign so they'll believe he is who he says he is. As if feeding 5,000 people from the contents of a boy's lunchbox wasn't enough sign. Jesus had continued talking to these people and he talked about his own work, carrying out the will of his father. And listen to this. To be the means by which people come to live life in all its fullness forever with God. Jesus is trying to explain to the disciples my purpose, my will, this thing that I'm asking you to now continue to do that I have been doing, what I have been doing is I am the means by which people come to live life. They're already living life, but to live life in all its fullness. So you can be alive and not be living life. There are a Thousands, millions of people right outside these walls right now that they're alive, but they're not living life. Okay? They're not living in the fullness of life that God has called them to be. 
God has greater things, and we have to realize that. So he is the means by which people come to live life in all its fullness forever with God. As you're sitting at the table, you remember all these times, all these things that's happening. And then all of a sudden, Jesus makes this statement. And you wonder what kind of works he's talking about. What kind of greater things he's talking about. You're going to do greater than Jesus? What does this mean? Does this mean I'm going to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, feed more than 5,000, be greater, be the perfect example of life lived full of good works, generosity, love, faithfulness, courage, hope. Is that greater? I'm going to do greater than perfection? Think about that. Jesus is saying, you're going to do what I've been doing, but you're going to do even greater. And so he's asking us to do greater than perfect. Greater than perfect. Your confused misusing start to fade away and you find yourself back in the room at the dinner table with Jesus. And then he starts talking about someone that is going to be sent after him. When he returns to his father, he's going to send somebody after him. It's a helper, is what he says. It's the spirit of truth. Maybe that might be a clue to the conundrum that we've been wrestling with. As we sit at the table and listen to Jesus make a statement about greater, greater. If you're looking to be greater than Jesus, you need to put down your crack pipe. Because that ain't happening. Let's just be honest. Because if that's your goal, to be greater than Jesus, you're never going to hit it. Okay? Because you're never going to beat that. So what does Jesus mean? He's saying, you're going to do greater. You're going to do greater. As we look back from our vantage point sometime later, we have an advantage because we can see. We can see the weeks and months and days and years after, after Jesus' death, his resurrection, as, and his ascension. At first, his followers were afraid. They scattered, but they were encouraged by his resurrection appearance. And so they returned to Jerusalem, and the Bible says that they waited. They waited because that's what Jesus told them to do. It was there that they received the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit. It's the promise that they received the power of the Holy Spirit. And listen, the Bible says this, that Peter, he comes out of receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, and he stands up and he looks at the people and he says, listen, this is what the, the prophet Joel prophesied. He says, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters. They'll prophesy, they'll see visions, blood, fire, billows of smoke will be poured out. Everybody's going to be, and he just preaches this powerful message. And the Bible goes on in Acts chapter 2. After that powerful message Peter preaches, at the end of Acts chapter 2 it says, the number of people who heard the message and what? Believed. Come on, somebody say believed. The people, the number of people that heard the message and believed it, because that's, that's important, who believed it was about 3,000. 3,000 were added to the kingdom that day. I want you to know that that is more people that one day than the whole of Jesus' ministry on planet earth. Nobody want to say amen or shout that? See, one day, one day Peter preaches one message and he blows 
blows Jesus' ministry out of the water in that one day. The early followers of Jesus, they did do miraculous works. And, and so Christians throughout the ages continue to do that. These are signs and they're foretaste of the kingdom of God and what it's like. But they have not been greater things than those done by Jesus. The early church followers of Jesus were marked with lives that, that were different and attracted to those around them. But they also fell. They also had fallouts with each other. And they also regularly found themselves on the wrong end of the moral stick. So they did not do greater moral works than Jesus. What has been the greater work since Jesus returned to his father that people have been a part of is the bringing in of people into the kingdom of God. Do you realize that? That is the greater work. That has continued to be the greater work, both in the number of people, in the geographical spread of people, and in time. Greater things have already been done since Jesus was on this planet. Do you get that? So when he spoke that, it's not something that we have to just guess about in the future. He Already greater things have been done. And today, greater things will continue to be done. And tomorrow, greater things. It's already in the work. It's already happening. As we, as partners in the kingdom of God, God has blessed us to do greater things. Jesus isn't calling us to be greater than he is, but he's calling us to greater things with him, with his spirit inside of us. You see, God is sending out a calling that you and I were meant for more. And the kingdom of God is at the center of the greater things that God has called you to be. God has called you greater for your family, greater for your finances, greater for your emotions, greater for your current job. Do you believe that? Come on, do you believe that? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm believing God for greater. Now... I've had a lot of conversations with people. This has happened in the past two weeks. Uh, this has happened regularly. But people who are disappointed in their relationship with God, they feel stuck in their place in life, and they're not sure where to turn. And I notice more and more and more that I'm meeting believers who are unsatisfied with the kind of Christians that they're becoming and the version of the Christian life that they're experiencing. Have you felt that? Have you ever felt that? And, and you can be honest. This is not, you're not going to hell. But you've felt like you get to this moment where you go, man, I just feel like I should be at a different place. I feel like I should be at a different place in my walk with God and my relationship with God. People that feel this way, it, it makes a lot of sense. But the thing is, most believers aren't in imminent danger of ruining their lives. They are facing a danger far worse. Wasting them. Wasting their lives. I have a book in my office that I read years ago. And it's called Saved Soul Wasted Life. And it's about the thief on the cross who has this encounter with Jesus. This moment that he has a mind shift. And he begins to believe what was already being given to him. So he believes it. And in that moment that he believes it. He has a mind shift and then his life is over. So a wasted life. Saved soul. Understanding the promise and the gift that you just received. The greatest gift on planet earth. And you wasted it by not sharing it. Not giving it away. 
These are some of the very people that Jesus talked about in John 14, 12. People who are supposed to be doing greater works than forget about Steve Jobs, but Jesus Christ himself. Yet it's not happening and we're frustrated about where, where we are and we're confused about how we get there. Anybody relate to that? Understand what I'm talking about? You feel that? I have felt that way. Even as a pastor, I have felt that way. And taking a church on a journey, I have felt that way. You see, we all instinctively, even if we can't articulate it, uh, exact, there's something not squaring up. And we know that. We feel it. We can sense it. And we have to understand that there's a huge gap between what God said in his word and the result that we're actually seeing manifested in our lives. So we've been lulled into comfortable complacency. And then we wake up one day and we find ourselves stuck in miserable mediocrity. And it's living a mediocre life. So we tuck away all the dreams and all the great things that we felt like God once gave us and once had on our shoulders. And we tuck it away and we just let it go. And if that's where you are, I want to give you a strong, strong warning warning this morning. You can't keep living life that way. You can't live a complacent life in the body of Christ. You just can't do it. That's not what we were called. We were meant for so much more. We were born and created for so much more. And so being good enough is not good enough. Just because you pay your bills on time. Just because you're a little bit better than your neighbor. Just because your marriage looks a little bit better on the outside than, than the couple uh, across the street from you. Baseline living is not okay. Not for a believer. There's a price to pay for Christian complacency. The fact is that we are so much better than we become because God is so much greater than we're allowing him to be through us. Okay, do you get that? We're better than this. And what makes us greater is when we understand and we have a mind shift that him inside of us. I said this last week that you're not greater. He is greater. And when we recognize that he is me. Come on, don't confuse what I'm saying here. He is inside of me, and I become the manifested presence of Jesus Christ himself. And when I get that, I recognize that I am the righteousness of God, that I am a joint heir with Jesus. And when I understand all those things, I can't help but recognize greater things starting to come out of my life. It's one thing to believe it, but it's another thing to live it out. Only a few people are going to remember where they were when the news broke, when I pass away. You know, that's a tough pill to swallow. Nobody's probably going to post a blog about me when I pass away. And especially not going to be posted on a device that I created. I'm probably not going to make it into Hebrews chapter 11. I don't think they're going to do a write-in about me. All those things start to add up. But part of the problem is stepping out and being a part of something great for God is painfully vague. And as I talk about this morning, some of you are already starting to think about the greater things. And you're trying to think about, but it's so vague, it's hard to just put your finger on it and pinpoint it, right? What does it mean to really be great for God? Would it be truly great from God's perspective if I was to become a missionary in Africa? Is that what, what he's saying? Greater things will you do than these? 
Or maybe it's running a socially conscious software business or smuggling Bibles into Vietnam. Maybe it's winning America's Got Talent or American Idol. Or maybe truly greatness is a few of those things together. Running my own company, my own business, being great, getting my name in the papers, on the news. The fact is, that kind of greatness, the unattainable kind, is always in the back of your mind, but always beyond our reach. That's why I have no interest presenting you with a plan of pursuing greatness, but instead, I want to spend some time showing you the way to a place that we call greater, because that's what this sermon is all about. That's what this message is all about, and that's what this season for our church is all about, greater things. It's not some gimmicky play on words, but it's a game-changing mind shift on how we approach God. It all starts with the mind. So let me give you a few examples on how we see the tension what I'm talking about. Good enough equals the baseline living marked by mediocrity, being stuck in spiritual survival mode, and being controlled by complacency. That's good enough. That's just good enough. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's where a lot of us reside. Greatness is the vague, unrealistic aspirations of doing better that doesn't actually work in real life. See, good enough leaves you stuck in stagnation. Grasping for greatness leads to endless frustration. That sounded like the beginning of a rap song. Good enough leaves you stuck in stagnation. Grasping for greatness leads to endless frustration. You know. Ain't nothing but a G thing. But greater is the third way. Greater is the life-altering understanding that God is ready to accomplish a kind of greatness in your life that is entirely out of human reach. That is greater. That is greater. Beyond Steve Jobs, beyond what you see in your own mind on your best day, but exactly what God sees in you. And you know why God sees in you is because the Bible says that through the death of Jesus Christ, you have been made perfect. So when God looks at you, he sees himself. Some of you didn't amen because you don't believe it. When God looks at you, he sees himself. He sees himself. He sees the greater in you because he is greater. He sees you when you feel like you're in the midst of your chaotic nightmare. He sees you there. There's a great story in the Bible about a man named Saul. A lot of you know this story in the New Testament you can find it in the book of Acts. In fact, at the very end of Acts chapter 7, there's the stoning of Stephen. And so they're stoning Stephen because of his faith. The very beginning of Acts chapter 8 starts off with, uh, I think it's the very first verse. It says, and Saul was there giving approval to Stephen's death. So Saul, the, one of the first times we really see him introduced, it's saying he was there giving approval to them killing Stephen did the way they killed him. Then you go to Acts chapter 9, and it's Saul's conversion. 
Because a lot of us know that Saul was converted and he became known as Paul. Here's what's great. Saul has this moment, this encounter with God. And I'm just going to paraphrase the story and just in case you haven't all heard it. But he has this encounter with God and he hears this voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And, and, and he's immediately just struck blind. And he says, God, is, it, is this you? Who is this? And he says, yeah, I'm the one that, that you're persecuting. It's me. And, and they have this moment, and, and God tells him, he says, I want you to go into Damascus, and you're going to wait there. So Saul goes into Damascus, and he waits for a few days. The Bible says he doesn't eat or drink anything. I mean, he's, he just had this crazy, crazy moment with God. So the Bible says that God showed Ananias in a vision. You're to go, he says, you're to go to Straight Street, uh, Judas' house, and you're to find a man there named Saul, who is waiting because he's seen you in a vision, and you're going to go, and you're going to confirm what he's seen. So Ananias says, man, I'm not going. This Saul guy is crazy. In fact, Acts chapter 9 starts off with, and Saul is still breathing out murderous threats. Okay, he's attacking the church, persecuting the church, persecuting believers. He's trying to destroy them. He goes to the judges, and he gets arrest warrants because he's wanting to arrest anybody who believes. And Ananias knows that. He said, I've heard rumors about this guy. I don't want to do it. And God says this to him. He says, you need to go because he is my chosen vessel. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Because Saul was not doing anything for the kingdom. He wasn't building the kingdom. In fact, he was working as hard as he could to destroy the kingdom of God. The Bible says Ananias goes and he, he has this moment with, with Saul. And immediately, this, what the Bible says, what seemed like scales fell off of his eyes. Everything was made whole. And immediately, he believed. I was thinking about this story this week. Nothing really Crazy changed in Saul's life. He didn't go to Bible school. He wasn't led in a sinner's prayer. He wasn't asked any specific questions. He just had a moment with God. And what happened was he had a mind shift. He, in one moment, instantly, he began to believe. And when he believed, the Bible says he got up, he started eating and drinking, he hung out with the disciples just a little while, and then immediately he started spreading the gospel. He started preaching. And we know, we know the rest of the story, a lot of us do. Paul became one of the greatest apostles, the greatest apostle in my mind, ever to walk this planet. He planted so many churches. He saw so many conversions, mind-shifting conversions, when just as he shifted from Saul to Paul because he began to believe it. He goes on and he writes two-thirds of the New Testament. Personally, I've decided to give up on all my aspirations of greatness and legalistic expectations of Christian perfection. Not because I'm giving up on getting to the place that God's called me to, but because I found a better way. And I found that better way when you open the Bible and you dig in and you see apostles like Paul. And you see their conversion. And they, they made a decision to believe what God had already promised and what God had already given to them. I found it buried in the examples of parents and students and employees and bosses who are finding a greater passion in God than they've ever known before. I find it at the door that leads to the life 
life that I've always known that God has called me to live. Greater things. And listen, this morning, to you, to the church, I want to enter this passageway together, leaving our lives of good enough behind once and for all, giving up on the false idea of greatness, and placing our expectations, our hopes, and our fears squarely on the shoulders of Jesus Christ, on the God whose power is greater than what we can ever even comprehend. That's who he is, and that's who he's called us to be. And ascending to a greater realm of God's power than we ever imagined. A place where impossibilities cannot coexist with God's promises. See, all the things in your mind that you feel have become impossible. They can't coexist with the promises that God has over your life. Over your family. It's not somewhere out there. It's right here and it's right now. And it's not reserved for only great people like Steve Jobs or Father Abraham. But it's the birthright of ordinary believers just like you and me. You are the greater things. You are the greater things. And today I feel like this. I'm Ananias. I represent Ananias today, and I'm here to confirm to you what God has already called you to be, and I'm just to speak it. I'm to speak it into your life so that maybe those scales that have been on your eyes that have stopped you from seeing and believing who you are will just begin to fall. So as I represent that in your life, I'm calling that greatness out of you. Because that's who you are and that's who God intended you to be. Well, Pastor Jared, I mean, I've barely even been saved. I couldn't even quote that one, that's that famous John, John something, 16. I couldn't even quote that. that. Greatness is not about how your knowledge of the scriptures. Greatness isn't about a, your longevity in the body of Christ. Greatness isn't about the relationships you have and the church you go to or your position in the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something. We have one position in the kingdom of God, and that's sons and daughters. That is our position in the body of Christ. So let's just clarify our focus and prepare our hearts because I want to simply ask you to ask this question for a moment. God, begin to open my eyes by faith. And help me perceive that he has greater things in store for my future. Will you just begin to think about that? That God, open my eyes so that I can see, so that I can fathom, so that I can begin to receive the greater things that you have for me. Greater than the labels you were given when you were young. Greater than a cynicism that may be settling in as you get older. Greater than the life spent aimlessly wandering in cyberspace. Greater than the empty, empty earthly success that brings no eternal reward. Greater than the shame that you carry because of your past sins. Greater than the abuse you suffer at the hands of other people greater than the hell that you've been through because of the trials of your life greater than the missed opportunities that have just been hovering over you greater than the greatest dreams that you have ever dreamt God has called you to greater things greater things he says you do what I've been doing and what I've been doing are the greater things I have been calling people in. I have been the example of what the kingdom should look like on this planet. I am the manifestation of the kingdom of God on this planet. And you are to duplicate that. You too are to bring the kingdom of God to this planet. We just sang it. When heaven and earth become one. That's our job. 
He says, do what I've been doing. That's what I've been doing. And you're going to do it greater. We live in a generation where we have social media. We have all these things at our fingertips. We can study and learn more than any other generation before us. Jay, would you guys come back this morning? You only have to be willing to believe it and press into greater things that God's already prepared for you. So I'm done talking about these things, but I'm asking you now, church, if you will walk through, walk with me on this journey into uncharted territories, straight into the gap between the greater things that God's promised in his word and the results that we see in our lives. Here's my prayer over you today. That starting today, you will receive the confidence to know that nothing is impossible with him. That you will receive the clarity to see the next step that he's calling you to take. And that you will have the courage to do anything that he tells you to do. Because for some of you, he's going to tell you to do something that's going to blow your mind. But he has greater, greater When you do this, you'll begin to get a real sense of greater things in your life and what God wants you to do. Because the results of greater is a life of greater effectiveness, greater impact, and greater vision. So please understand this, how important it is to embrace this journey because this is a journey. It's not a destination. The destination is a mirage. In other words, you're never going to get there. You're never going to catch up to this point where you go, whoo, finally, greatness. It's just a journey every day that we stand in, that we face. Greater vision for your life isn't based on a formula. It's built on a promise that God created you for more. You have to believe that. One of the most frustrating things as pastors is to see it in you and not be able to figure out how to get you to see it in you. Because standing here from where I'm at, I'm telling you, you guys, you're unbelievable. And the Jesus and the God inside of you, the manifested power of God inside of you is so incredible. And the fear and the doubt and the frustration and the depression and the oppression that we just start to believe and we start to eat in our lives. It's just a lie from the devil. And if I can get you to believe what I see already in you, that God's already put in you, we will be unstoppable. The gates of Hades cannot prevail. That Satan himself cannot stop what we're doing and what God's doing in your life because God has called you to greater. I want you to stand with me this morning. I hope this morning, somehow, some way, just for a, a moment, that you'll reach out and you'll grab hold of this. Because we're on a journey. Last week we talked about greater. Next week we're going to talk about greater. And the next week we're going to talk about greater. Because this is important. Because we need you to start to buy into the fact that I am. I am who he says I am. I am. 
I'm going to stop doubting myself. I got a, I got a text this morning from a, an incredible, credible person in our church just saying, Pastor Jared, can you pray for me? I'm, I'm going through some stuff. And immediately I sent a, a text back and I just began to pray and speak these things over and reminded her who she was and the power and authority that we have and the lack of power and authority that the enemy has in our lives. Because you want to know honestly how much power and authority he has over you, the enemy? Zero. Zero. Well, that's not true, Pastor Jared. The devil's really been... No, 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 no. The devil's been attacking your mind. You've been believing it, and so you've been going, Oh, all hell's breaking. No, 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 no. Your mind is breaking loose. All hell ain't breaking loose. Your mind is breaking loose. The devil has no power over you. The enemy has no authority over you. It is finished. We sang it while ago. It is finished. Jay was shouting it. We were proclaiming it. That the curse of sin is broken. It is finished. It is done. The devil's defeated. We won. We won. That's the story. See, for my whole life, I preached that one day we will win. We've already won. Now, the message to the church is to act like it. You've already won, so act like it. Walk like it. Talk like it. Share that gift. We're the conquerors. We're victorious. Act like it. Amen? The bad news with this whole message, I can't just be a hype man the whole time and everything's great and greater and greater, but I got to give you some bad news. Every hero has a villain. And this greater that God has for you doesn't just slide in without a little opposition at times. But this is just a reminder that that opposition, only his only source of power in your life is in your mind. He begins to put thoughts. The Bible says that those weapons in Ephesians that he, he attacks us with, they're thoughts. The weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, to the casting out of imagination, bringing every thought into captivity, to the very obedience of Jesus Christ himself. So that's how he attacks us is with our thoughts. So the enemy, he's going to try to get in your head. When you leave today, he's going to try to pull you back down to reality and let you know that message was for everybody else. Because they don't understand where you're at. No, we do understand where you're at. So I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads with me all across this place. And in your own way, I want you to receive this. I want you to step in to this moment of greater. But Father, I pray right now. God, I pray for the manifestation of these greater things to begin to come out. God, I pray over every family, every individual, every household that's within this room, every every household that's watching online, I pray right now, God, that we begin to have a mind shift, that our mind will change, and we'll begin to understand that we are greater because you are great, and you dwell, you live inside of us. God, and we're meant for so much more. And I pray that every person, those that are struggling this morning, that are battling in their mind what greatness is and what greater is, God, I pray right now that you just begin to, to push that down. 
that we bind those thoughts that the enemy would try to bring up against us. And right now we release, we release, God, the manifestation of the power of your Holy Spirit that lives and dwells and breathes inside of us. And we give you all the praise, Father. We give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. And if you believe that, come on, shout amen.